Hey, we're so glad that you are here. And of course, those that are joining online from one of our campuses, one of the 12 locations in one of the 12 correctional facilities, it's an honor to be with every one of you. And uh, you're our VIPs. And uh, it's exciting also to know that people from Italy are watching as we have our campus just outside of Naples and in Mozambique. And so honored to be with each and every one of you. One more time, Celebration Church. Say hello to our online audience. It's good to see you guys. So how many are going to watch that football game tonight? Okay, so I don't expect to see you here tonight at 5 o'clock, but that's why you're here in the morning. That's why we do options, and uh, we're glad that you are here. And ladies, don't forget, sign up. It's going to sell out to have the lineup that we have and to see the people that we've got coming. Of course, Lisa Harper and Christine Kane and Onika, and then some girl named Lori Champion is going to be here speaking. Uh, there'll be, if you're new to celebration, we'll have 5,000 plus ladies and uh, I'm sure it's going to sell out again. We do two conferences back to back, but I really do expect this year to sell out quickly. So you'll want to make sure we have companies. We have, in fact, uh, one of our doctors in our church, he has the whole staff. They shut the whole staff uh, or the, the company down and they come to ladies conferences as almost like a development day. And we're hearing about this uh, for several companies. And so it's really neat, but you'll want to make sure you get your tickets. And then men, we also have our men night coming up, so don't forget to register, join, and be a part of that. We're going to have kind of a football theme, and we're going to take the concourse, kind of turn it into some a little football activity, a little combine. Uh, we actually were looking at astroturfing the whole concourse, doing some 40s, doing some other drills. And if you still have some football left in you, we may stick a uniform on yourself and uh, run you into somebody. And so... Uh, after you sign a waiver. We're going to have a good time, and, uh, but you will not want to miss it. And uh, it'll be in preparation, of course, for the Super Bowl coming up the following week. And uh, a lot of great things happening here at, uh, at Celebration Church. And uh, how many are thankful just for the worship today? It was just fresh. Uh, it's always fresh, but especially in our world of, of COVID, we had uh, and sickness that's going around. We, we had our drummer was prepared to do this morning. And uh, course had been a part of the practices and uh, he just began to feel ill and so we had to have a reserve drummer who was in bed at home recovering get out of bed and literally walk onto the stage during the countdown and play drums for the first time and not like in his whole life because uh, <laughs> some of you would be like I'm all for that I love boom 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 and uh, but uh, Matt Capper uh, who's a part of our staff and team? He played. He was a drummer for the uh, for the Australian Army, and uh, so I said, "Just act like you're going back to battle <laughs> against kangaroos." I don't know whatever y'all attacked, <laughs> and he won. And then I think he went back, uh, went back to bed, and uh, hit a couple of kangaroos on the way back. So, a lot of great things happening, and. Uh, and, and don't also uh, underestimate what God did in our lives this past week with Pursuit. How many were part of the Pursuit prayer nights? And for many of you, you weren't, if you weren't here, you missed it. Honestly, you missed an amazing night. Had about twelve to 1,300 people out every night praying, seeking God. And, and you're going to be the benefactor of it. But don't miss a Pursuit night again. It really is powerful. It sets our year off and it sets literally the church up like a golf ball on a golf tee. And God just begins to hit that ball right down the middle, unlike my golf game yesterday. And uh, pray for me. I have my next eye surgery, which is why I played golf bad yesterday, coming up in February, February the 14th. And uh, so that's why I shot 106 yesterday. I haven't shot that bad in 10 years. But it was the wind's fault, and I can't see out of this left eye. The devil is a liar. Father, speak to us today. Lord, I thank you for just an amazing church, amazing people. Meet every need. Thank you, Lord, already we've, we've been refreshed in your presence. And Lord, we give you the praise for how you are doing all things well in our life. Encourage each and every one. And everybody said. It's week number two of a series that we're calling A Church That Looks Like Heaven. And it really is, I believe, important for us to know to know about our church, to know at the beginning of the year the importance of, of having and how to have and how to be a part of a healthy church. One of the things that we did not want to ever have is a dysfunctional church. Because if you have a dysfunctional church, I'm going to tell you what you're going to have if you're a part of that church, a dysfunctional life. I've had people say, Pastor Joe, I liked it when our church was smaller. 
I wish we had less people. I said, so what stupid dysfunctional thing do you want us to start doing to keep people from coming? Put you at the front door? One of the things that we're not going to do is do stupid things. We're not going to do dysfunctional things. We're, we're, we're not going to be that church family that, that really just gets off into all sorts of, of silly things. And, and I really do believe that it's even more important now to have a church in our world that we're living in because the church in the world that we're living in is going to be more and more important. It's going to be more and more vital for your sanity, just for your own, for your own encouragement because we're seeing everything that can be shaken. The Bible says we'll be shaken. Every system of this world is being shaken. Every, every kind of organization, anything and everything that we've ever put our hope in, we're finding it that it's being shaken to its core. But that is so that God can reveal who he is. And what we want to make sure as a church is that you know what you're a part of. For many of you, you've never been to a church like this before. We had a couple in our church who we just met for the very first time this morning. And after the service, I said, have you ever been to a church like this? They said, we've never been to a church like this outside of our Catholic faith. I said, this is like a very overwhelming experience. And he was a baseball, a baseball player in college. And I said, is this like a, glan, a grand slam or a, the last out at a final game in the series? I hope it's a grand slam. And I hope that maybe if it's your very first time, or maybe you're new to celebration, that some things will click. Because I think it's important for you to understand not just what we do, but why we do it. And why we do what we do has always started from vision. So secondly, we're not just talking about our church at this series. We're, we're also kind of laying some foundation for you because we all need to start the year with vision. I want you to see this. The Bible says, where there is no vision, where there is no vision, the people, what? The people perish. It's not just vision is important. It's, it's life and death. People perish. Marriages perish. Organizations perish. Businesses perish. They fall to pieces. It literally means they, they fall apart. They fall off. They disintegrate. It's, it's glue. Literally, vision is glue. But he that keepeth the law, I think it's the law of vision, happy is he. That when there is the keeping of the vision, or when you know what the vision is, happy is he who rolls with the vision. Vision is like a train on the tracks. As long as it's on the tracks, it can move. Happy are the people on Amtrak who are rolling, who are moving. But unhappy are those who don't have a vision. Like a train off the track, it stalls, it stops. And this is what vision is. Vision is a picture. It's a picture. When we moved here 21 years ago, we had, we had a vision. We had a picture. We had an object. We had a, we had a revelation, how God spoke to us. But we also had in our minds an object of what we wanted to see, a church that looks like heaven, lest we fall apart. Understand something about vision. Vision has two components to it. Vision has two dynamics. Number one, vision is a filter. Because when you have a vision, it filters out what you will entertain or what you won't entertain. You know, a lot of people have no vision for their life. Therefore, they will accept, they will allow anything and everything to come into it. In other words, when you lose that vision, you'll just accept anything that feels good. But when you have a vision, if you have a vision of God, you're not going to accept what feels good. You're going to accept what is right and what's important and what is necessary. I don't have COVID. I don't have COVID, but I'd have something worse. It's called the curse, the depravity of man. And so it's a filter. What needs to be filtered out of your life this year? Like a vacuum cleaner filter. Have you ever, have you ever vacuumed the fireplace with your vacuum cleaner? I did that once. And I burned the vacuum up. Because the filter's not designed to handle the dust, the ashes. And I just thought, I didn't need to scrape the fireplace out with ashes. I just, I'll just go ahead and vacuum it. We have one of these Dysons. These things are supposed to be powerful, wonderful, not cheap. And the smoke began to come out of the vacuum cleaner. The filter, or the lack of filtering, 
is what brought destruction to it. I know a lot of guys that want to keep their buddies from, from the frat boy days. Can't figure out why their wife is not getting along or why things are not healthy in their life. Well, you're 52 years old trying to live like a 22-year-old. There's some people you need to filter out of your life. I'm not saying being mean. I'm not saying being ugly. But the reality is I am saying grow up. I am saying that it's now time to look at what might need to be filtered, what decisions, what attitudes, what mindsets. Jesus, the Bible tells us, he went into the house of the synagogue official and he saw a commotion. And the people were in there loudly weeping and wailing at the death or the sickness of this child. And entering in, I love this, he, Jesus said to them, what is all of this commotion and weeping about? What Jesus was able to filter out was this is all emotion. These are all, literally, they were paid weepers and mourners. They were on a payroll. Some people in your life are on the payroll of nothingness. And Jesus said, the child has not died but is asleep. In fact, that child would love to come back to life, but as long as your dysfunctional mindset is in this room, it won't happen. And then notice, and they went from weeping to laughing at Jesus. Have you ever seen people shift very fast and sudden in their attitude? They thought that they were so holy, and all of a sudden you realize, ah, oh, you're not holy. You are evil people. He put them out. And by putting them out, watch what it says. He then took the child's father and mother and the companions, entered into the room. In other words, he got around the right people and where the child was. And he took the child by the hand and he said to her, Talitha Kume, which translated little girl, I say to you, the dysfunctional people are gone. It's time for you to get up. He didn't say that, but that's what I think he was thinking. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk and she was 12 years old. And they were completely astounded. So number one, vision is a filter. Let me ask you a question. What needs to be filtered out this year? We as a pastors, we, we're always looking at what needs to be filtered out. What needs to be cleansed? What needs to be removed? Jesus told the church, he says in Corinthians, he said, you need to lose the old leaven. He says in 1 Corinthians 5, 6, and 8, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Clean out the old leaven so that you can be a new lump. Just as you are in fact unleavened for Christ, our Passover has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us celebrate the feast not with the old, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness. Notice what he's saying. Malice and wickedness. Filter out the malice, the anger, the hate, the bitterness. Don't go into the year carrying that bitterness and that anger and that hate and wickedness, allowing you to just have a, a license to sin and doing evil things, treating people in an un unholy way, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and with what? And with truth. Here's the second thing that filter or that vision does besides filtering. Here's the second thing, and this is where we're going to go. It's a force. Come on, say the word force. It's energy. It's a power. It's why you see an administration. It's why you see a football team or an organization struggle, struggle year after year. And then all of a sudden, here comes a visionary. Here comes a man that understands that vision requires a filter. It brings a filter. And then number two, it brings a force. And it begins to energize people. Oftentimes, you don't have an energy problem. You have a vision problem. Your, your problem is not that you're tired all the time. You're tired all the time because you don't have a vision. And when you lose your vision, I saw this in my own family's life. I saw this even with my own father after he retired from the National Football League. And he went into the oil business. How many know? Not a good move in the 80s. And when he went into the oil business and he started his own company, I saw my dad, who was a visionary, a man of discipline, and lived and, and was very much not just a professional athlete, but, but coached professional athletes his whole life. And then when that oil business and doing the things that were happening in the oil relationship, I watched my dad have a hard time getting out of bed in the morning. He lost his vision for his company. And what had happened was he lost his energy. And when you lose your energy, it's hard for you to move. Things begin to stall. Things begin to lose control. Things begin to close down. And this is why it's important for you, even in your own life. What about your vision? Where are you in relationship to your vision, your picture? 
When's the last time you sat down and said, what's our object of our marriage? What's the object of our home? What's the goal? What do we want to see out of our children's lives? Why are we to parent with passion? Why are we to parent with energy? Because we're having given by God these children so that we could prepare them. I never raised my kids to be preachers. I raised them to be leaders. And the last thing I wanted them to be was in a green room. Or in a room that is in preparation, getting ready to preach. And of course, a lot of times you know what a green room is, the definition by that way, being where pastors meet and people meet and you have your speakers there and all that kind of stuff. And I've heard people say, leaders are made in the green room. No, they're not. They're ruined in the green room. Because oftentimes they get an image or a picture that's not a healthy vision of leadership. Because Jesus said, if you really want to be the greatest, you're supposed to be the what? The servant of all. If you really want to be a leader, here's the vision. Jesus said, you need to be like me. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to what? To serve. And when you look at even churches that have struggled over the years, churches that maybe you were a part of that are even no longer around or barely hanging on, let me tell you what happened. The vision became about the individual or about the people rather than about God and about making room for new people. And the older the people became in that church, the longer they stayed around, the longer they believed they should be served rather than serving the next generation, rather than making room, rather than laying down their life. And that's what Jesus said. I came to lay down my life. I came to give my life away. Paul the apostle wrote this. He says, Christ's love compels me. It energizes me. If you're lacking energy, I'm going to tell you what you need a vision of, the love of God. The love of God that was what? Proven on the cross. Notice, he didn't just say love, he defined it. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all. And therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer, watch this, live for themselves. But for him who died for them and was raised again. When we started this church, we were not compelled after most Sundays for many, many years. When we started the church in the Round Rock Library, we would go in and whatever season it was, the room that we were renting, in fact, we had two rooms with a dividing wall, an accordion wall. And one room was for adults, one room was for kids. And we'd go in and if it was Halloween season, all the rooms were decorated, the two rooms were decorated with Halloween spiders and witches for five-year-old children. And here we are, we are just in this little sad situation of trying to plant a church, sitting in little chairs for five-year-olds. And we would just literally have Sundays where we would just, Lori and I would look, Lori would play keyboard, I would, I would sing and I would lead worship. And then when she would finish playing the keyboard and I'd get ready to preach the message, then Lori would walk into the room and go take care of the kids who have been by themselves for the last 30 minutes listening to bad music. And then I'd bang on the wall and then she would leave the kids and come back and get on our little keyboard that we bought at Radio Shack. And the thing that kept us going, even there were Sundays where I would say to the church, if you don't come back, I don't blame you. I said that literally one Sunday. This is the worst message I've ever heard in my life, and I'm preaching it. <laughs> Don't come back. My wife said, you say that again, I will cut you. I will cut you, <laughs> and I will not be back. And I will move back with my mom and my dad. But what compelled us, what made us continue to move, it was vision. We had to keep filtering, and we had to keep our force. We had to keep our energy. We had to keep that original understanding that Christ died for us. And therefore, if he died for me, he died for all of us. Therefore, watch this, now the church. Therefore, one should no longer live for themselves, but for him and for those who he died for. What Christ is saying to us and what he says throughout his word is that once you get the understanding of what God did for you on the cross, the cross always leads to the church. It never leaves you as an individual. It never leaves you isolated. It never leaves you independent. 
It never leaves you stuck on a shelf or stuck on the outside by yourself. Let me tell you, people that are separated and isolated are shrivel saints. You shrivel, you atrophy. Lori just had surgery on that thumb that she has, and that texting thumb that has destroyed her thumb. How many ladies know what I'm talking about? And she has a pin in that thumb that will be taken out. But as they replaced the first cast with the second cast, and she sent me the picture of that arm that, of course, has shriveled just in these last couple of weeks. Let me tell you what happens when you just, in your own mind, receive Christ as your own personal Lord and Savior and stay personal. You will shrivel. You may get in, but you won't stay in. And it may mean, of course, you have eternal life. Barely. The Bible talks about people barely saved. It really does talk about people who are in by the hair of their chinny, chin, chin. And of course, I know Christ died for all. He wants all of us to be saved. But that is such a miscalculation of why he came. Pastor Joe, I thought it was just all about me going to heaven. Nope, it's not. It's part of it. That's far from it. Let me prove it to you. In the book of Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is in the district of Caesarea Philippi. And as he's now meeting with his executive team, his 12 apostles, he asked them, he asked the disciples, his 12 apostles, they were at lunch, and uh, he asked them, they were at Chewy's, literally it says in the Greek, Chewy's. They're having some chips. He says, I'm curious, what what are people saying? What's the revelation of me out there? What's the word on the street about, about who I am? Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And immediately they said, ah, well, some are saying you're John the Baptist. You're, you're John the Baptist who's come back. And then another one said, you're, you're Elijah. You, you've returned. Others were saying you're Jeremiah. And then somebody else who probably didn't know another one of the prophets' names said, and you're one of those prophets. You ever talk to people that just act like they know the Bible? You know? And he said, you're one of those prophets. And he says, okay, that's great. He goes, but now I want to know, who do you guys say that I am? That's nice. And that's, that's what I wanted to know. But Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, Simon, you're not that smart. Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, son of Jonah. Blessed are you. This is, this is God, Simon. Because flesh and blood did not give you this information. Flesh and blood did not reveal this. You did not study yourself into this revelation. You did not get this because of some way that you have figured it out on your own or someone came along teaching to you the scripture or whatever the truth was. He says, my father who is in heaven has caused you to see this. Understand something. God causes us to see it. If you have one prayer to pray, the one prayer you should pray is, Lord, cause me to see what I'm supposed to see. Cause me to know who you are. God, don't let me be blind. The Bible says Satan blinds the minds of the unbelieving. He veils people. He covers them with a curtain, literally. It's what it means. He veils them. He curtains them off. He separates them. But when they turn to the Lord, the veil is removed. The curtain is pulled up. How do you remember Johnny Carson curtains back in the day? Where are my Johnny Carson people at? Yeah, we're all going to get on the bus, take a trip to Luby's after church. And all remembers Johnny Carson and those curtains, those yellow curtains. And you know what? Satan is a Johnny Carson curtain loving, toting devil. He wants to keep you away from seeing God. And what he was saying is, Simon, God caused you to see this. God is the one who's opened up your eyes. If you haven't had this revelation, you're not saved. 
If you can't say that you know who Christ is, the Christ, the Son of the living God, you can't, get enough, you can't go to enough Sunday school to give you this revelation. You can't get this by going to church. It has to happen by God. No one can come to the Father except he's drawn, except God opens up his eyes. Now watch this. He says, I say to you, I also say to you. Now watch this. I also say to you, Peter, this is half of the battle. This is half the equation. This is half the revelation. You're on your way to heaven. You get who I am, the Savior of the world, the Son of God. But I also have to tell you this, that you, Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church upon, not Peter, but upon the statement, upon this truth, upon the declaration that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Not Peter, you are the rock. But Peter, yes, you are a piece of it. You're a tiny portion to what I'm going to do with you. But the rock is the revelation of who Christ is. And I will what? I will build my church. And the gates of hell or Hades will not overpower it. And I will give you the kingdom of heaven. In other words, I will give you what I have wanted to give you. Not just salvation. But upon the rock of the understanding of why you were saved, it is so that you can begin to be a part of the church because the church has been given the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And then he warned the disciples, I don't want anybody at this moment to be told. Now you look at that scripture and say, I thought we were told to go tell everybody. It was that he has on a mission. There was a purpose. There was a point in this exact moment. He didn't need paparazzi coming all over the place. And he also knew as soon as he said in one portion of Scripture, he says, don't, don't, don't tell anyone what I've done to you. And what did the guy do? He went out and told everybody. He, Jesus knows. But what he was trying to do is to get to the next verse. Get to Jerusalem. So he could die. So that he could suffer. And by the suffering, be killed and be raised up on the third day. <clears throat> what's important I don't have COVID what's important <laughs> for you to see he goes I've got to get you this truth Peter it's my church it's not just your salvation it's about my church and I do believe there is no cross that does not lead you to the church and when somebody says, Pastor Joe, I do Christ, I do the cross, I do the reality of who he is as a son of God, but I don't do church. And I call you out on it. I call out that immature life. That life that is not the life that God has intended for you to live. Because what you're holding on to and what you're lacking in the understanding of the cross is the cross never allows you to live on your own. It calls you to community. It calls you to fellowship. It causes you to come into relationship and togetherness. He never allows. In fact, the cross never leaves you to be individualistic. You don't think more of yourself after the cross. You are to think less of yourself after the cross. Because you see what Christ did. You see that he gave up his life for you. He died for all. Notice that's what he was trying to say in, first, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Christ didn't just die for you. He died for all. Therefore, no man is to live to himself or for himself alone. When I came to Christ, I had zero background of ministry. All I had in my family were military men and coaches. Very little church. And then I got saved. And then I see. And I know it was God's hand on me to ministry, but... The other side is I couldn't see how people could stay isolated, independent. That's like going to academy sports and buying your little football uniform or buying your baseball uniform and then walking out and having no team to play with. And you're 42 years old walking around with your baseball uniform on. Bless you. He sneezed in the back. Um, 
You're dressed up like in a little, can you imagine a 42-year-old man walking around in a football uniform with a helmet and all of his jersey? And then you go, who do you play for? I play for me. Now, I have a Chiefs jersey on or I have a Cowboy jersey on. You ever been to their team practice? No, I'm a one-man football team. No, you're a liar. There's no such thing as a one-man football team. Don't fool yourself. The cross ramps us to relationships. The cross directs us to one another. This is what the cross does. There's no such thing as a cross-carrying Christian, someone who says, I love what Christ did on the cross and remain independent, remote, lonely, antisocial. Yeah, but Pastor Joe, it's my personality. No, it's not. It's your preference. Because when the cross comes into your life, it changes your personality. Then that means you haven't lost yourself. And Jesus said, if any man is going to follow me, he must lose himself. What does that mean? Lose what he likes to do for my church, for what is me. You think I want to be up here every week talking to you? With, with whatever in life. In fact, they say right now it's more hazardous to be a pastor than at any time in America. And I differ with that. But the truth is, it is a minefield that we're having to walk through in today's world. But I want to tell you, thank you, church. Because churches are watching what we're doing. What's happening in our church with the retention, but not just the retention. We're 20 to 25% in growth pre-COVID. Do you realize most churches are in that 45 to 60% range back right now with loss of people? They're 30 to 40% down in attendance. And I want to say to you, thank you for the vision that you have held of Christ. It's Christ. And so the object, the vision, what Jesus said, as he says, husbands, love your wives, as Christ did what? He loved the church. And what did he do? He gave himself up for her. So Peter and the disciples have the revelation of what God wants to do with them. They do what Jesus told them to do. They went to the upper room. And then the Bible says it, as Jesus promised, the Holy Spirit would come upon them after his resurrection. He's ascended into heaven. He said, but don't move until I send to you the Holy Spirit. And 50 days later, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit falls. And the Bible says they're all filled with the Holy Spirit in that upper room. Peter stands up and he begins to preach. It's interesting that the man who said, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God, and the man whom God said to him, upon you and upon this revelation, I'm going to build my church. He's now preaching. And Peter, watch this. When they heard Peter preach, they were pierced to the heart. And then Peter said to those Brethren, as they heard Peter pierced, they pierced, they were pierced, they were pricked in their heart, and they said, what do we do? You've told us about the way of Christ. What do we do? And Peter said, repent, each of you, and be baptized in the name of the Lord for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and your children and for all who are far off. How many are thankful for that? And as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. And with many other words, sounds like Pastor Joe, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, be safe from this perverse generation. How many know it's still a perverse generation? So then those who had received his word were baptized. And on that day, there were added 3,000 souls. It was a mega church on day one. Watch this. Now what happened? They were continually devoting or they were committed forever to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone, this is one of my favorite scriptures, and everyone kept feeling a sense of what? Oh, not awful, amazing. They were like, oh, because signs and wonders, many were happening. 
The Bible goes on to tell us, watch this. It says not only were signs and wonders happening, but those that were together had all things in common. People were willing to just be generous, laying down their lives and their possessions, meeting the needs of everyone. Day by day, it was not just a weekly or once a month. It was day by day. They continued with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. They had large groups. They had small groups. They were taking their meals together with what? Gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was bringing to them daily the number of those who were being saved. They were just walking around going, oh. They were like, go, go. A couple weeks ago, we were in England. Lori and I went to Italy to preach at our campus, and then we flew to London, and then our kids, we flew over for Thanksgiving, and we spent a few days in London, and one of the things that we did, we went to a soccer game. And my boys love the Premier Soccer League, and we went to the Chelsea game. What you're about to watch is probably the greatest highlight of our trip to England, other than Connor getting engaged to Reagan, but this is probably first. <laughs> From my cell phone. This was taken at this time right off of my cell phone. And this is what church should be like. Watch this. It's the same thing. When Christ died and was raised from the dead. Ah! And instead of it just being with my four, three boys, it's now with all of us going. Ah! And with many signs and wonders. Ah! And I was saying, even Lord, how can I give an illustration of what church should be like? It's that. With our family. I didn't just go, ah, and forget Mason, Connor, and Jackson. The joy is turning to them. You would have thought we had lived in London our whole life. And let me tell you, it was expensive. It was an expensive game, but so is church. It cost Christ his life. But let me tell you something, that world whether it's the stadiums of UT or the stadiums of high school or the stadiums of the NFL or baseball or the soccer league. Let me tell you, there's 60,000 people in that stands because you know what people need? They need some awe in their life. They need some, they need some victory in their life. And it doesn't happen. In fact, to catch, that, to catch that on my cell phone at that moment just doesn't happen. Let me tell you, it's just not going to be, it's, it's few and far between that your team is ever going to do what you want them to do. But Christ did what we all need. Yes. We're saved. Yes. The goal has been accomplished. We're not going to hell. Oh. I remember hearing the gospel and being early on in my walk with God. Hearing a preacher preach like I'm talking about right now, how God, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, has saved us from the fire. And that my name is now written in the Lamb's Book of Life, and no matter what happens, I'm going to heaven with God's people and with the saints. And I remember pulling out of that First Baptist Church in Natchez, Mississippi, in my little blue Celica, pulling off the side of the road. I can tell you exactly where I was in Natchez, Mississippi going, ah, I couldn't drive, for the joy that my name and my life, I'm going to heaven, come hell, come high water, come tsunamis or COVID, yeah. 
And you know what? God deserves a church. Not like this, going, that way to go. Good job, Jesus. Thank you for being raised from the dead. But then shame on us when we watch the Cowboys tonight and they win. You're running around your house. You've got friends and family. You've spent $30,000 on that television screen in your little, your little garage room. You've got your cowboy jersey on. And then when it comes to Jesus dying on the cross, forgiving you of your sins, delivering you from the power of the devil, where's your jersey? Where's your membership? Where's your, where's your commitment? Where's your sacrifice? Where is it? Let me tell you something. Proverbs 1 tells us, because you rejected me, I'll laugh at your calamity. Because, Jesus said that. Because, because you laugh at me when you find yourself in need, he goes, I'm going to laugh at your calamity. Read Proverbs 1. You know what he's basically saying? Call Dak. Call Coach, whoever. Call Jerry Jones. How many learned? No, you, you don't want to call Jerry Jones. <laughs> See if they're going to help you. See if they're going to deliver you. That's why the Bible says it. And a church that looks like heaven, real simple, last points. Here it is, real quick. Not even going to give them to you in any kind of depth. Number one, a church that looks like heaven is committed to the Lordship of Christ. They were committed to the Lordship of Christ. They were baptized. That word means also to be baptized, to be fully immersed, but it means to be under the Lord. It's, it's an under the Lordship of Christ. Baptism means I'm under the Lordship of Christ. When you say, I don't want to be baptized, I don't do that, that's a religious thing. Not to God. It's a sign and a symbol that you are under the Lordship of Christ. Humble yourself in the presence of the Lord, and He will exalt you. That's why He was doing what He was doing in that church. Number two, a church that looks like heaven is committed to process. They were being assimilated. So the Bible says that we are a body, for the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says, because I'm not a hand, I'm not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, well, I'm not an eye, I'm, uh, therefore I'm not part of the body. In other words, what he's saying is, we're all parts of this body, and we all need each other. And if you say, well, I'm a finger, well, guess what? You need the hand. The ear needs the body, the, the head. Your eye, whatever, we're all parts. And for you to say, I don't assimilate with people, what is a finger by itself? Gross. <laughs> what is a hand laying on a table apart from the body? It's scary. We're not supposed to be dis dismembered. We're supposed to be assimilated together. We need each other. We're members of the body. And we're all important. And even the less are more honorable than the prominent ones. You know what that means? You think the toes are not a big deal? Just stub it. Just How many know that little toe? It's a big deal. Or that part that's inside, you don't even know what it is, and all of a sudden that little appendix becomes a big deal when it hurts. That's why we have connection points. This is why the third one, we're committed to learning the word. This is what the thing was that they did. They committed themselves to the teaching of the word. Listen, some people say, Pastor Joe, I want to go to a church that preaches the Bible. Guess what? You will not find a church that gives you more Bible than this church. I'm just telling you. I'll put, I'll put up the amount of scripture and the amount of word that you get. Because I do believe that we have to be founded on the word. You don't need Joe's thoughts. You need God's thoughts. And God's Bible is God's thoughts. That's how this works. We are to be Berean-like. Acts 17 tells us they were noble people. And when they received the word with great eagerness, they were examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things be so. That's why we have CLI. That's why we have a whole college that we're birthing. This is why we need to be in the word so that we can be in that awe, if you will, of God committed to fellowship. The Bible says they broke bread continually. Not just hearing the word and the teaching, but they were in fellowship. Breaking of bread. Fellowship. Anybody that says, Pastor, I'll just go by myself. You can't. It's called by yourself Christianity. 
It doesn't work. In fact, it's not just not working, it's just not gone. That's why we have small groups. That's why it says they met from house to house and they were in temple. They had large gatherings, they had large groups, but then they also had small groups. We got a group training tonight, five o'clock. Five o'clock, Pastor Joe, but the cowboys are on. Well, don't come tonight, come next week. Come when we do our next training. Cowboys won't win, but the truth is you need to learn maybe what God wants you to do. John says, what was from the beginning, what we've heard, what we've seen with our eyes, we looked, we touched, talking about Jesus. He says, the life was manifested. And then he goes, we have seen and we heard and we proclaim to you also that this life was manifested so that we would have fellowship, that you would have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowships with the Father and with His Son, Jesus, so that we write these things so that our joy may be full. In other words, Christ came so that we could have fellowship with Him, and then we can have fellowship with each other so that we could have the fullness of joy. You know, if you've ever been to a movie by yourself, you ever been to a game by yourself? If I was at that game by myself going, ah, ah, and looking around for somebody to talk to, nobody ever laughs by themselves. You don't laugh looking ahead. You turn to somebody because you want to laugh with somebody. You want to do life with somebody. If I start laughing right now, <laughs> see, right now you want to look at the person next to you going, he's crazy. He is absolutely crazy. Because God has made us to be together in fellowship. And the last one is prayer. Last week was an amazing week of prayer. Let me tell you something. You need to be a part of church if for nothing else, prayer. The Bible says in the book of Acts chapter 12, it says that Peter was in prison. Peter was in prison, verse 5. It says, Peter, who was about to be killed, Herod, the government, was after Christians. Let me tell you something. I don't think it takes a rocket scientist or a prophet to tell you this. It's getting less and less popular to be a Christian on this planet. I'm talking about a real Christian. When you stand for truth. And I don't think it's long in this country. God, I hope it's long, but I'm just telling you. Because the Bible tells us it's not going to be forever. That it's going to get lesser and lesser popular to be a true follower of Christ. It's going to get harder and harder. To the point where it says even the people that are elected to be saved may depart from the truth because they don't want the pressure. They don't want the intensity that comes with being a Christ follower. And Peter is in prison. Now watch this. But in prison, prayer was being made. Verse 5, prayer for Peter was being made fervently by what? By the church. By the church. Doesn't say by their Sunday school department. Doesn't say by their little small group at the office. Your little fellowship group. Your little Bible studies. It's the church. The church. A lot of people, I call a lot of small groups and a lot of Bible study groups. They're, they're like little feeder fish. They, they, they swim alongside the big fish. They just kind of feed off of the main fish. They just kind of, they eat the parasites off the fish. The church is God's house. Church is God's business. And I really do believe that when you and I, in the days that we're living in, need breakthrough, I'm going to tell you something. You want to be around the body, the church. I commit to you, if you want to know about this church, we're going to be a church that has been doing what it's been doing for 21 years. And the next 21 years are going to be a lot bigger and faster and greater than what we've seen in these first 21 years. You know why? You're here. And you've been brought here. And you did not bring yourself here today. The Father wanted you to hear His heart for His church. It's the emphasis, my church. And boy, when you get into His church and love what is His, there is a favor and an Oh, yeah. Can we stand to our feet all over this place? How many are thankful for his church? 
for his church, his church. Are you a part of it? But you can't be truly a part of it, listen, until you can say, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. I do know that there are people that have been all their life in church, but they don't know Christ. Because you've been of whatever that is, name your denomination, name your story, name your history. It could be Catholicism, it can be Lutheranism. You can be confirmed, you can be baptized, Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian. You can know all the things about that church because that's been a part of your story. It's a part of your lineage. But do you know Christ? Has the Father opened your eyes to say, He is the Son of God? Not just by religious terms, but in a true intimacy. I know Him. I've met Him. If you're here today and you say, Pastor Joe, would you include me in a prayer? Because I don't want to be behind the curtain any longer. I want my eyes open. I want God. I want God's presence. I want to be in fellowship with God. If that's you, you say, Pastor Joe, pray with me. Would you just slip up your hands and I'm going to pray with you. We're going to pray right now all over this place. Yeah, wonderful. No one's going to be embarrassed. God is a God that has come, the Father, to save, to deliver, and to forgive you and to let you know this is why you're here today. Can we pray this prayer out loud, Jesus? Because of you. I can see who you are. Thank you for opening up my eyes. I declare, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. Thank you, God, for sending Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. I confess you now. Forgive me of my sins. My life is yours. And Lord, use me to build your church. The gates of hell will not prevail. Thank you, God. And all of God's people said,